Thanks for joining me for this week's episode of my new podcast series, Figureheads, brought to you by Barclay Card Business. Now you might be wondering why I'm hosting a business podcast when I'm normally in Hollywood or outer space. Well, I also happen to know a thing or two about business. As a physically different actor, I needed a plan B. So alongside my acting career, I founded a few companies. For me, the best business lessons come from hearing people's first-hand experiences. It's the stories that stick, and I'm lucky to be able to pick the brains of leaders from the world of sport, music, and entertainment to share their adventures and top tips with all of you. This week I'm joined by Will Brass, commercial director of a little competition you might have heard of, the Premier League. The Premier League is the most-watched football league in the world, available to watch in 880 million homes in 188 countries. Will became the Premier League's commercial director in April and is responsible for brand and business development, commercial partnerships, activation and events, and international relations. Harris, my son, was very excited that I was going to be talking to someone as important as Will within the Premier League because Harrison is a huge football fan, unlike me. I kind of got a lot of dad points. Hello, Will. Hi, Warwick. How are you, sir? Very well, thank you. Well, let me just give you this honour. This week, you are my figurehead. Have you ever been one before? I'm extremely sure that I haven't. (laughs) So thank you for describing me in those terms. Well, you're very important. You're somebody that I certainly look up to in business and somebody who hopefully can impart some great advice today on this podcast. Well, let's see how we go. Thank you very much for that generous introduction. (laughs) My pleasure. I'm sorry we're not in the same room today face-to-face because of... uh, the ongoing COVID situation, which has impacted all our lives recently. Um, So we're doing this virtually. It's great to virtually meet you. Well, likewise. It's weird when you see someone in face-to-face now, they're not sort of framed with a little square. Yeah, if if we're not careful, we'll all have forgotten how to shake hands in about six months' time and start learning that all over again. Well, for me, who's somebody who stands three foot six inches tall, people forget that I'm short when I'm on Zoom and get away with anything. (laughs) Then when I meet them in person, they're like, oh my word, you're a lot smaller than I thought you were. Now, I'm going to level with you, Will. I absolutely, I know nothing about football whatsoever. I've really no interest in football uh, because at school I had a bad experience. My football kit was black and white and I was once mistaken for the ball and it was horrendous. So uh, ever since then, I've kind of avoided anything to do with football. So uh, today I'm hoping you're going to be able to educate me about football in general and uh, also international appeal. It's about taking a brand and making it appeal internationally, something that is clearly a domestic brand originally, and make it successful abroad. Well, I'll certainly try. Yeah. And if, if I can make a fan of you by the end, then that will represent success, I suppose. So let's see how we go. Now, Will, you'll make a decision at work one day, OK, for the Premier League, and that will become part of history of the sport. Do you feel the pressure of that? I do when you put it like that. No, I don't, I, I don't want to overstate my own importance. I suppose, firstly, it is an amazing privilege to have the chance to do anything to represent a cultural institution that means so much to so many. Mm. And the Premier League, through the work of the clubs, has become this wonderful sporting platform. 
But we do work really hard to understand why that is, learn whatever lessons there are, and try to improve whatever it is that we do to respond to those lessons. The beauty of the Premier League in many ways is that it is so collegiate. It's 20 clubs making decisions ultimately, Uh. and it's 20 clubs making decisions based on fact, based on sometimes advice, but certainly not rushed into. Richard Scudamore, the, the previous executive chairman, hugely you know, popular and successful figure, always used to say that first up is not always best dressed. And there's something of that in the way that the Premier League and Premier League clubs have chosen to do things. We, we tend not to rush into them. Um, it's about patient consideration and, and ultimately, as a collective, the club's trying to make the right decisions at the right times. There's another lesson then, don't rush into things. Time spent in reconnaissance is never wasted, as they say. Sometimes you don't have the luxury of time, of course not. Mm. But where you do, the more time you can take, the more insight you can take on, the more likely it is that you're going to end up in the right place, I think. I'm going to talk about USP now. As an actor, my USP is is being short, basically. Uh, So it makes me unique in the marketplace. And I also have other talents. I can host podcasts. I can present TV shows and I can act. So you have to have a USP, I think, as a business. And I look at myself as a business as well. Now, with so many international football leagues out there, what is the Premier League's USP? Ultimately, we aim to put on the best possible football competition. That is what we are about. The strength of that competition, the popularity of our clubs, players and managers, the partners that we have, uh, the, the broadcasters that amplify that, taken together creates something that we're very fortunate people find really exciting and really enthralling. Well, I think the Premier League's at an advantage uh, abroad because uh, this is a fact. I think 62 nationalities are represented on the pitch. So therefore, it's going to have wide appeal abroad, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's right. I think I think it's an important point to make, Warwick, that over time, that the Premier League has been fortunate to have really recognisable international players. And of course that uh, can help to drive appeal with fans in other territories. So does the the Premier League, I don't know how this works really, Will, does the Premier League actually encourage clubs to sign players who are international to help with this appeal? Again, it's a good question. I suppose it's worth remembering that the Premier League is owned by the clubs. Those clubs make their own decisions and they, they have their own strategies. But one of the ways that clubs have been able to enhance their performance has been investing in in international talent. Uh, and, and that's something that has not only benefited them on the field, uh, but off it in terms of increasing that uh, connection with, with fans around the world. So, Will, the, the Premier League is obviously an international organisation with fans all over the world. Much like myself, I do have fans all over the world. And I don't like to talk about it, though. Um, but uh, I think it's very important you connect with fans wherever they are and nurture those fans. Should I be doing the same as an actor? Well, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. And I'm sure your experience of your fans is, is not dissimilar to the experience that our clubs have with, with their own supporters. Mm. Um, the, the passion and loyalty of those fans is incredible. And either through their own creation as clubs or through the work of the supporters gathering themselves, there's been an incredible rise in the number of supporters groups, official and unofficial, in all territories all over the globe. The clubs then have 
themselves done a brilliant job of engaging with those supporter groups or fans as individuals. Mm. And uh, yes, I suspect there there are large parallels with how you engage with your own fan base and how uh, all of our clubs might do that. Well, I have a, I have a Twitter account basically, and I say hello to them on that. But then you were talking about the clubs themselves kind of helping you engage with the fans. But uh, for me, it's probably people with fake Instagram accounts pretending they're me. That's the equivalent, I think, there. <laughs> nothing you can do about that at all. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. I suspect our clubs face a similar challenge, actually. But for me, I mean, I, I go out into the marketplace. I meet with fans uh, personally as well at conventions around the world. So that's me engaging with them, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that is important because, you know, for me as an actor, I need to understand kind of what, what makes me successful and what the fans actually are enjoying about what I do. And the only way I can get that is by meeting them personally and them saying, oh, we really enjoyed that film that you did. Or we're not so keen on that project as well, because I think it's important to kind of learn good and bad, you know, comments, you know, the positive and negative are good. Um, so getting feedback from your kind of your fan base is really important. How does the Premier League kind of receive feedback? Is it through social media? Yeah, I mean, it's not dissimilar, really. It's, some of it will be through social media. Mm. We do a lot of work through surveys, through focus groups around the world to, to understand what people say about us, to understand what people think. We obviously get the feedback from our partners, from our broadcasters, and our clubs do that to the nth degree. So they get all sorts of insight, um, both locally, internationally, to help them understand what they do well and, and what opportunities exist for them to do more. Mm. Uh, and, and collectively, therefore, we, we try to be as informed as we can. There's always more you can learn, but we try to be as informed as we can and to act on it as much as we can so that ultimately we are engaging with those fans and giving them as much of what they want as, as we're able to. Yeah, so it's important to get in information, but you have to act on it, Will, as well, don't you, as a business? You can't just go, oh, this is a lovely survey. People love us. But you've got to then take the negative comments and also act on those. I think that's right. Otherwise, the next time you run the survey, it might not be quite so favourable, I suspect. How do you reach the audiences throughout the world? How are you reaching fans? There are probably two parts to that answer, Warwick. So mm. on the one hand, we've been very strongly supported by broadcasters around the world who in many ways are custodians of the brand, custodians of the competition. And they're the ones who, who bring it to life for millions of viewers. Mm. More proactively, we have been able to uh, lean into new forms of technology and by driving out our social media channels and working with trusted uh, local partners in, in territories like China and India and the United States to bring content to life. More generally, though, we have been beneficiaries of the trend that has broken down borders mm. and the level of communication that is now possible uh, from one territory to another is greater than it has been in the past. And of course, when it comes to something like the universal language of football, that has helped to strengthen the bond between fans in different countries that previously may have felt disconnected from each other and now are able to feel a lot closer as a result of the technology available. Well, let's just imagine the Premier League is a physical product and you're taking that abroad and your shop window is basically a broadcaster. How do you work with them to ensure they represent your brand in the best possible way and sell your brand? We have great relationships around the world. If we take, for example, NBC uh, in the United States, which is a, a good example of this, in 2013, when they first partnered with us, we were trying to create and supply, I suppose, an exciting football competition. 
Uh, so that's where it begins. And, and we're providing content that they're able to use in their markets to, to attract fans. But from there, we're able to build a really powerful, mutually reliant uh, relationship where, for example, we're able to explore running events together. We've worked together with NBC uh, very proactively on, on a series called Premier League Mornings Live, where there are a series of physical events for thousands of people to come and watch Premier League matches at viewing parties. And that's impactful and powerful, not only for the people who are lucky enough to attend, but also for the millions of people who, who see that uh, through their television sets or through their tablets in the United States as a result of NBC's coverage. They film live from the events and they use it really to bring to life the Premier League fan experience in a way that uh, takes it beyond simply the traditional consumption of, of matches from England. So that's the same as a business selling a product into a store abroad. They should engage with that retailer as well, yeah? The business should directly engage with that retailer to help them sell that product, not just leave it to them. I think that's right. I think that's a broader relationship point, mm. Warwick. The, the more input you can have on how whatever it is that you are offering is shown or displayed or presented, the better mm. for us that involves working really closely with our broadcasters who look after our brand, who look after our competition in different territories. Yeah, they're your shop window, aren't they? In effect, they are. We obviously benefit from that because they bring our competition to life, but we also listen to them and, as far as we can, go well beyond just delivering content to develop truly mutually beneficial relationships like in the United States with NBC, as we've touched on, mm. that help us both achieve the goals we have through that relationship. Thanks for this, Will. It's fascinating. I'm learning a lot. Thank you very much, sir. You're very generous for it. I mean, as a football fan at the beginning of this, where were you a, maybe a one out of 10 as a result of going to Peterborough from time to uh, time, but no more than that? No more than that, unfortunately. Um, I'd love to get into it. Harrison is so into it, my son. He really is. He just, How old is Harrison? He's now 17. He just loves it. And I say, what do you like about it? Because it's the great, this is the atmosphere. Because he watches games sometimes not in the stadium but on the TV. He said, it's not the same, Dad. When you're there, it's the atmosphere that, that is, is so incredible. He knows all the players, all their stats and everything and compares it to, um, you know, he understands how the leagues work and the tables and all that. I don't who's going up and down. I mean, he's, it's really, a, it's a good hobby, really. It's great, you know. You think he's on social media, but he's just checking out what, what's going on around the country with the other games. Yes. My seven-year-old mm. uh, has just started playing Fantasy Premier League, which is a very dangerous thing. He's become obsessed with when the deadlines fall for him to All switch right. his team around and then blames both his parents increasingly <laughs> aggressively when no one's thought to flag uh, the time at which the deadline might be. Oh, gosh. In the end, it's always great to hear about the impact that it has on people as a game. Yeah, and I, I was surprised when I went, you know, the how much of a shared experience it is for families. You know, I expected to be a load of lads going in, you know, a bit rowdy. And I'll never forget, I was getting my car washed in Cambridge and uh, these lads came over from the stadium and said, oh, put this scarf on and just have a photo with us, will you? I didn't realise then I was putting a Cambridge United scarf on. And of course, then they tweeted it and Peterborough got very annoyed with me. Oh, yeah, there's a... There's a <laughs> there's there's a very competitive market for celebrity fans, as yes. as as you've just illustrated. I did. Yeah, it was on all the radio programs, and yeah, got a bit, got in a bit of trouble for that. 
Oh, wow. Harrison was disappointed with me as well. <laughs> so I had a photo with his scarf on and tweeted that, and that made up for it, I think. So if you could, I mean, just sort of summarize what you just said in a few words in kind of a golden nugget for people listening as to your advice in how to kind of best work with a partner abroad, best kind of secure a partner abroad for your product. I think it is about candor and clarity and transparency and doing as much as you can to not only say what you want to say about yourself, but listening to what you are getting from the other side and, and using that mutual understanding to see where that takes you. And again, not every conversation has to have the same outcome, but the more attentive you are, the more likely that you'll find the right outcome, whatever that may be. And beyond that initial meeting, how important is communication after that and nurturing that? You can't just set it up and leave it, can you? You've got to keep working to nurture this relationship and build on it. Yeah, I think that's, it's fundamental. Ultimately, Communication is critical to making anything work, any relationship work of, of any description. And it's the same commercially as it might be personally. Finding the, the shared territory, finding the areas that you want to talk about, making sure that you talk about those areas in a, in a clear and concise way. Your background is as a lawyer. So you go into these meetings. Do you use lots of big words and legal speak or do you actually become very personable with the people you're meeting? Is that the key to it? <laughs> Uh, I don't know if it's either one or the other. I suppose my background, you're right that my background is a lawyer, but really my background was as a a criminal lawyer. Yeah, that won't help. In the end, if there was one skill I hope I developed from that, it's the challenge of being locked in a room, sometimes a prison cell, with somebody whose trust you need to gain extremely quickly. And you need to be as transparent as you possibly can, because that's often the best way to build trust in a short period of time. Maybe I did bring some long words with me, but more than anything, I think it was that experience of not knowing what sits on the other side of the door, but knowing that you have to find a way to make that work that has helped me in my career since. That's brilliant. I can just imagine that. And it works exactly the same as when you go into a meeting, yeah. Except they don't lock the door when you go in, hopefully. And there's no panic buttons. No. So, well, one final question before we finish. What has been the best and worst piece of advice you've been given in business? I think the answer to the two questions in, in some ways is connected. So the, the worst piece of advice, or maybe the advice I tire most of, is when people say, you know, just go for it, or words to that effect. Go for it. Get on with it. You won't regret it. Normally means they haven't been listening <laughs> and they haven't really understood the scale of the problem that you're asking them about. Mm. And then related to that, the, the, the best piece of advice I got, which probably now about 10 years ago, was when uh, a, a mentor of mine really was, was advising me on something. And he said, just remember, whatever decision you make now, especially if you decide to do this thing, people will say to you, that's absolutely right. Well done. Really support you. But in 12 months time, if it's gone wrong, all of those people will say, that was a bit of an error of judgment. I never thought it was quite right at the time. And remembering that is not unhelpful because it does underpin some of the things that we've talked about today in terms of being patient and trying to make sure that you're informed. So ultimately, the decisions that you take are most likely not to lead to a situation where everyone else is washing their hands of the decision in 12 months' time. Well, you know what? I've been given both those pieces of advice by my agent. 
So I'll say, should I do this particular role? And he says, yeah, go for it. So then indeed I do. I look back in the year's time and think, actually, that movie was a flop. Nobody's watching it. And then I look around and he's gone as well. (laughs) That's a very good illustration (laughs) of the point I was trying to make. I'm sure it doesn't happen very often, though. Well, thank you very much, Will, today for being my figurehead. I've, I've learned a lot from you and hopefully the listeners have as well. It's been fascinating. Thank you very much for having me. I've I've really enjoyed the conversation and and thanks again for asking me along. If you want to hear more stories from other figureheads, then subscribe and listen to my next episode where I talk to theatrical innovators Michael Longhurst and Henny Finch from London's famous Donmar Warehouse. We'll be talking about the importance of purpose in your business. And of course, all of this has been made possible by Barclaycard Business.